Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he will be every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Ben? Going well, thank you, Neil, and thanks for having me on board. No worries, mate. That's the way. Uh, just some background on myself and Ben. Uh, neither of us are qualified journalists. You certainly won't be getting any wage bombs from us or any insights from some interviews we conducted with uh, Kevin Durant after practice. But what you will get um, is a fan's perspective from the game. Myself and Ben consume a lot of NBA, whether it be by watching, reading, or listening to inferior podcasts than this one, Ben. So we're going to talk about the game in hopefully an entertaining way um, for you guys to follow along. If you want to follow myself and Ben uh, via social media, we're available on Twitter at, at 82 winnow and at BenCad1. So if you've got any questions or comments for us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. But what I thought we'd do for our first podcast is uh, just talk about three of the biggest issues so far from the season. And I think we'll kick it off with what is without doubt the biggest issue of the season so far, and that is uh, the Brooklyn Nets acquiring James Harden via trade. So I'll just quickly run through what Brooklyn gave up to uh, to, acquire, to acquire Harden. They gave up an unprotected first-round picks in 2022, 24, and 26, and unprotected pick swaps in 2021, 23, 25, and 27, along with Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, and Rodian Corix. So let's park to, to what they gave up to one side, Ben. Uh, do you believe that they should have traded for Harden? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you put yourself in a position to bring three of the best players out of the top 20 into your side, you've got to pretty much pull the trigger on that, I would have thought. Um, you've only got Kevin Durant under contract for the this year and next, and then a player option for the one after. And, and the way things were looking with Kyrie Irving at the start of the season, I think it was, if anything, it was insurance on, on this year to get a second star in and then hoping that Kyrie would come back and then see what these three guys can do together. There's obviously some real concerns around some of the fit issues that they may have, particularly at the defensive end. But offensively, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like these three guys, um, what, what we're sort of projecting that they might look like throughout the season. Yeah, no question about that. They're obviously three immensely uh, talented offensive players. I personally don't think they should have added Harden. Um, I think the main reason you add a player of James Harden's calibre is for his offensive ability. He's, he's an offence unto his own. And I think the biggest question mark that we had on Brooklyn before the trade was whether defensively they could hold up, especially on the wing. So I think that if they were looking to go all in, which which I believe they should, as you mentioned there, Durant's only under contract for a couple more seasons, and and Kyrie Irving's a bit of a bit of an unknown uh, how long he's going to even play NBA basketball if you if you follow his comments. So if they were looking to go all in this season, I think maybe they could have looked to upgrade in the wing area. That, that's easier said than done because every every team is looking to upgrade, you know, get a defensive wing stopper who can also give them something offensively. A couple of options they could have looked at is maybe Aaron Gordon from from the Orlando Magic, who's who who's been there since he was drafted and is maybe a bit stale. I think I think everybody who's watched Aaron Gordon play has thought in his immense talent, but probably hasn't got everything out of himself uh, in Orlando. So maybe the switch to Brooklyn playing alongside. Durant and Irving could have could have brought that out of him. He could have concentrated more on on being a, a really good uh, defensive stopper and just sort of gotten some scraps on the offense. Or maybe even I know this guy struggled since he's gone to, to Golden State, but Kelly Oubre had a fantastic season last year at Phoenix. Um, his shots off at the moment, but uh, he was maybe someone they could have looked at as well. What do you think about that, Ben? Yeah, look, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I mean. The fit is really interesting, and I don't think we've quite seen it all come together. There's been glimpses of it 
uh, throughout. But your point, your point's fair. I just look at it and go, you've got these three ball handlers, um, elite scorers. Brooklyn Nets already are third ranked in offense across the league, albeit counteracted by currently sitting 26 in defense. But I just think there's still some moves to be made here on this roster. I agree with your, your wing issues and even uh, heavy reliance now on DeAndre Jordan. But I think there's some, some moves they can make to get a defensive-minded player in. And you look at even uh, PJ Washington um, at Charlotte or someone like that that could potentially come in and fill that spot. And I look at the Spencer Dinwiddie contract at $11 million for a guy that's going to miss the whole season. That could be an enticing expiring contract for another team. And I'm sure that um, the Nets could find some salaries to match that and come back in and give them some help around those those areas. Yeah, no doubt that that Spencer Dinwiddie contract is something that they'll probably be hanging out there to, to try and get rid of. Just on, just on Spencer Dinwiddie, I did hear today that they have been granted a, an injury player disabled exception. I think it's for about five, five and a half million. So that's something that maybe they could use to, uh, to upgrade. You mentioned the fact that um, the three stars are all so gifted offensively. Do, do you do you find that maybe one of them will become redundant because of the, because of that they won't be able to sort of showcase your their full skills and you won't be getting sort of a hundred percent of the play you would usually get because the three of them are so gifted offensively. Yeah, well, I think um, James Harden's probably the one that you're looking at so far that's probably taken the biggest hit from a scoring point of view, averaging only twenty three points since moving across. However, that's uh, still giving the side twelve assists. So, look, if he is prepared to to maybe sacrifice some of that offensive scoring and and almost play that third banana like he did earlier in his career, then, you know, it may it may work. Whether he's prepared to do that, well, we need to wait and see. But I, I look at him probably as the guy that might might need a sacrifice and let Kevin Durant be the number one guy. And Kyrie's obviously uh, got that um, full scoring traits as well. So, look, I think it's Harden at this stage that might have to uh, sacrifice while he's finding his feet and because of his um, elite playmaking and passing, he'd be the guy that I'd look to to, to take um, the less, less amount of shooting. Yeah, no, no doubt. Harden's a really interesting one for me. You mentioned his numbers there, 22, 7 and 11 um, in the six games since he's, he's moved to Brooklyn. But I, but I think in particular his last two games have been really interesting in, in the back-to-backs against Miami. He's only had eight and ten shots respectively. And in that first game against Miami, he didn't attempt a field goal till 8.45 left in the last quarter. And today he only had two shots in the first half and five through three quarters. Um, he did have a really big last quarter today. He scored 10 points and was looking like the James Harden of old, going between the legs a few times and had sort of that swagger going during that last quarter. But he's the one, yeah, will he keep doing this or is he like... When you get in a new relationship, you got the new girlfriend. Uh, you're trying to, you don't, you're trying to hold all your bad traits. You don't want to watch too much sport. You go to bed nice and early. Maybe you don't pass wind around her, Ben. Um, <laughs> can he continue to do this, or will he go back to his old bad habits? Not bad habits, but the habits that he's sort of grown into over the last six or seven years at Houston, where, where the offense was fully revolved around him. I think that's a big question. Well, to, yeah. Look, to be fair, look, I don't know that I can trust any of these three guys. From a, from just a, a standpoint of um, what they're bringing to the table on any given day, they're probably three of the uh, more unusual individual characters, and to have them all together as these high level, high usage elite players that at any any given time um, could could almost go walk about or get injured, yeah, it's just a fascinating mix. But look, I think for the time being, that's going to be the role um, Steve Nash is going to ask him to play. How long he can do it for may all depend on how long Kyrie Irving's upright, but. Um, Look, I think 
as I said, with his playmaking, look, his three-point shooting numbers have been quite poor since he's, he's got across, um, shooting only 32% from three. But look, you know, he's got, at any given time he can go off. He can, you know, score 15 to 20 points in a quarter if he needs to. Um, but I think just as a as an overall sort of minutes per scoring uh, numbers, he might be the guy that just needs to play that role for the benefit of these guys trying to win a championship together. Yep, no doubt. And and you mentioned there about the unpredictability of Kyrie Irving. I, I think one one of the main sort of arguments for acquiring that third star is in case one of your other guys do get injured or or otherwise, especially in a year with COVID, if you only have two stars, one goes down, you le- you're left pretty short-handed. Whereas if one of the, if you've got three stars and one goes down, you've still got two left to go. And uh, and I think, apart from Durant, Durant would be a massive out, but if either Harden or Irving were to go down with an injury or, or a COVID um, interruption, I, I think Brooklyn would still be okay, obviously, offensively. We'll just get into how they've looked since the trade. So they're four, four and two since since the trade. But the, the most interesting thing, I think, from my perspective, is the minutes that, uh, that Steve Nash is asking these guys to to play. So, so Harden in his six games is at 40 minutes a game. Durant in his five games, because he's missed one, is 39 minutes. Irving, who had a bit of an extended break, um, has played four games, and he's at 39 minutes. Joe Harris is at 36 minutes in six games, and DeAndre Jordan only at 25 minutes, but prior to this trade, um, his, his, min, his minutes were really dwindling. He'd had a, a DNP coach's decision uh, before the trade happened, so they're obviously leaning heavily on him where they weren't prior. Just to give some, some context to those minutes, DeMontis Sabonis leads the league at 38 and a half minutes. So Harden, Durant and Irving are all above at the moment the league leader in minutes. So I think, well, I personally think they're probably leaning too heavily on these guys, especially Kevin Durant coming back from such a devastating injury, the Achilles injuries, despite the fact he has looked almost the same player, which which is an incredible feat in in of itself. But to, to ask a guy to come back from a, from a major injury like that and, and to play those sort of minutes is a big ask. James Harden, we've seen in the past, come playoff times, he's he's become worn down. He's he's been he's been excellent during this during the regular season, but he's worn down and looked tired in the playoffs. So if you continue to ask him to to, to shoulder a heavy load, will that be the case? And and obviously Kyrie Irving to be playing thirty nine minutes after having a couple of weeks off is a big ask as well. So can this be sustained? That's a big question. What are your thoughts on that, Ben? No, well, I think they need to sort out um, their depth issues as well. I think until they can find some more playmaking in the second unit and some guys that can assist, then you know those those minutes are probably going to have to stay there for now. Um, they're not getting anything out of Landry Shamit. Really, I think Jeff Green seems to have stepped up, um, at least playing a, a, a useful role for them, but their depth is, is limited. And they, I, I really think they probably need to look at that before the deadline and really get some, some more help in there either through that or the buyout market. Because at some point, these guys are going to need to have a break. And, and you know, if the season gets further compressed at any stage, um, then those um, those minutes are unsustainable. Yeah, no, no doubt Brooklyn are going to be at the top of the tree for the, for the destinations on the buyout market. So, as you said there, uh, there's no doubt they're going to be really really looking to add the buyout market the thing with the buyout market this year is though because of the 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 new playing tournament where the where the top 10 seeds are at least a, a chance for the playoffs i reckon the buyout market market won't be quite as uh, as large as it usually is because even teams down in that 12th and 13th position could 
could half talk themselves into the all right we, we can get to that 10th position and then and then play off to get into the playoffs so you, you might not see the, the players from from teams down the bottom sort of become available on that buyout market that usually would so that's going to be really interesting to see whether that comes to fruition or not let's talk about do, have Brooklyn mortgaged their future and could it come back to bite them? We, we saw a few years ago when they, they acquired uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in trades and, and ultimately the, the picks that they handed over to, to the Boston Celtics resulted in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown from that trade. So at by the time all these picks are done, Durant will be 39, Harden will be 38 and Irving will be 35. So, so you'd imagine those last few years when those picks are being handed over to Houston could get a bit dicey. Kevin Durant should age pretty well, you would reckon, given that he's a seven-footer who, who's so silky and, and shoots the ball so well. Harden's an interesting one. Obviously, he doesn't keep himself in peak condition, so he, he might he might not age all that well. And, and Kyrie Irving, too. Small, smaller point guards um, don't tend to age all that well. So... What do you think, Ben? Do you think that this is a, is a really big risk and it could come back to bottom, a la that trade that they did back with Garnett and Pierce? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's risk involved with it. However, it's a it's a results league. It's a win now league, and these guys, you know, are built to try and you know build on their own legacies and win championships. So they're gonna they're not gonna be too worried about it. The Nets have obviously put themselves in a similar position, as you mentioned in the past. Albeit, you know, the Harden, Durant, and Irving are. Uh, probably much closer to the primes of their career than Garnett and Paul Pierce were uh, when that yeah, trade no happened. So, look, I, I wouldn't be worried about any of those picks, you know, particularly while these guys are on the team in the next three years, um, providing they either, you know, extend or take up those player options in year three that they're all sitting on. So it's really that, you know, the, the, the picks that are four, uh, four, five, six years years away, well, you know, God only knows what can be happening in between then and, and what other moves can be made in the interim. So, look, the risk is real um, longer term. I don't think any of these picks that they've given up in the first three years, maybe four years, are going to really matter. The pick swaps probably won't even happen. And the first-round picks that Brooklyn are going to hand over are going to be in the late 20s. So we're only looking – we're looking sort of five, six years away from any of these picks really being, being you know, the, the risk-adverse ones. And, and, look, if I'm the Brooklyn Nets or if I'm any of these guys playing, that's the last thing I'll be worried about at the moment. I'm all in at the moment um, and trying to win a championship. Yeah, no, no doubt, as you said there, that, that those first few picks, there's not too much to worry about then. Totally agree that those those pick swaps would would be seriously unlikely to happen. So I'd reckon it's probably just the 26 and 27, those years there, that, that might become a bit dicey. But, uh, yeah, you, you probably go all in and, and, and wear the consequences later. And there's no doubt that, obviously, the, the Garnett and Paul Pierce were, were towards the end of their careers where, where these three guys certainly have a lot of good basketball in front of them. But, but ultimately, after this trade, Ben, do, do you believe that uh, the Brooklyn Nets can win the title? Um, I think they can. I think they've still got their work cut out to them, even inside the East. Um, you know, they're going to have to still get past some pretty good sides in the playoffs at the pointy end of that, whether it's the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, the 76ers, or uh, perhaps even the Boston Celtics. And as we mentioned, the defence is a, a, huge, a huge issue. They're not going to be able to stop anyone, so it's only going to be a whether or not they're going to be able to just continue to outscore um, sides, you know, night in, night out throughout the playoffs. And I think that's going to be a bit harder to do in a seven-game series than when you sort of catch these guys on a random night throughout the year. So the teams, you know, whether it be Philly or Milwaukee in the East, you know, they're going to be a bit more well prepared and well set up for them in the playoffs over seven games. Um, the defense is a is a problem, but you know, these guys are, are that good and that elite with their 
with their scoring and their, their just their playmaking that I think they they've given themselves a chance. Put it away, that way. I don't think they could have won prior to making the trade, and I think they they are now a legitimate chance to get through the East and and take it up to whoever it is that comes out out of the West. And you know, I think if they're looking at the Lakers. That's probably the biggest issue for them, just due to the size of, of Davis and LeBron. But, you know, they're, they're in the mix now. I don't think they were before the trade. And, um, you know, I think that's that's what you're looking to do. Yeah, look, no doubt that they're, they're, they're going to be one of the best offences of all time, you'd think, with these three guys. But for me, I don't think they can win it because they have too many holes defensively. I think there's only been one team in the last 15 to 20 years that's ranked outside the top 10 or 12 uh, defensively and I think that might have been the last of those Golden State teams where they were probably just sort of sleepwalking through the season so th- there's you, you mentioned the holes defensively J- just a stat that, that I found astounding when they played Cleveland on, on the back-to-back nights Cleveland scored 147 and 125 points against them with 134 of those points coming in the paint against all other teams Cleveland averaged 93 and a half points so I, th- I think that that there j- just highlights the issues that they're going to face. And, and, and you mentioned the Lakers and, and LeBron uh, and Anthony Davis. Look, Kevin Durant can probably guard LeBron. We've seen him do that in the past. He does a reasonable job at it. But I, j- I just can't see for the life of me who they're going to get to to guard Anthony Davis. And, and he could be the one that that uh, that really would swing a series against them because yeah, they're going to score, we know that, but when it comes to nut-crunching time in that last quarter and they need to get some stops, are they going to be able to do that? That would be my big concern. Obviously, look, I wouldn't fall over if they won the title because they've got that much talent, but I just think they're going to be right up against it given uh, the holes that they have defensively. Righto, so we'll move on to the, the second big story of the season and it's the, the, the aforementioned Los Angeles Lakers, um, the defending champion uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I'll just run through what they did over the summer. So they added Marcus Gasol, Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell. So Harrell was the sixth man of the year and Schroeder was a runner-up in the sixth man of the year. And they lost Rondo, JaVale McGee and uh, Dwight Howard. I'll just run through what they've done so far this year. They're, they're four and four. They've got a they're rated sixth offensively, first in def- in defense, and they've got a, a net rating which is first in the lead of plus nine point eight. So, so what have you seen so far from the Lakers, and uh, do you think they're a better team than they were last year? Uh, well, on the second part of it, I definitely think they're a better team than they were last year. They've got um, a whole season in the playoffs now of experience with LeBron and Anthony Davis playing together. And, and look, by the end of the playoffs last year, they were basically unstoppable, these two guys. And, and I don't think LeBron has shown us anything to suggest that he's not in as peak form as he's ever going to be, even what he, he did today with uh, against um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, scoring 46 points was just incredible. So while he's while he's fit, while he's still working hard um, and sort of managing the way he plays, he's only averaging 32 minutes a game, which, it, which is good. Um, and I think that's a sustainable number for him throughout the season. I think with him and Davis, um, the added uh, uh, continued form of those two guys, um, and then with the pieces you've mentioned that they've added um, around them, I think they've got greater depth and, and greater muscle up front to, to repeat. And I think it's, I can't see where the challenger at this stage is going to come from. I think they're certainly the side to beat. And, and to, to back up, you know, a really long and arduous season, particularly in the bubble at the end of last year and on a short turnaround to basically be cruising at 14-4 and four and be the number one ranked league you said in defence um, is just an incredible, incredible stat because you'd really would have forgiven these guys to come out slowly 
and pretty much cruise through until sort of February, March, in, until the whips were cracking. But they've come out. They've got a real purpose about them. And these guys that have come in, Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell, have really added some offensive power for them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with your last point there. I, I sort of half expected them just to sort of go through the motions a little bit and, and for LeBron and, and, and AD to have a few nights off. But that, that certainly hasn't been the case as yet. And... And being able to add um, Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder, I think those those two are really, really good offensively. So there's nights, you know, where LeBron can maybe take a bit of a backseat, and I think we have seen that in the numbers, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But I think those two are really key um, additions because we saw at times last year, even though they obviously won the championship, that their their offense could get bogged down, especially early in that bubble that their offense looked pretty ordinary. They obviously got their act together uh, you know, when it mattered, but uh, I think adding those two guys there is is a real fill up for him. And Marcus Ole, he's obviously a different center to what they had last year in in Javal McGee and Dwight Howard, who are who are two sort of athletic bigs who who sort of protect the rim well. But Gasol's such a smart player. You see him get the ball at the the top of the key, and he you know he's hitting LeBron with back cuts and Davis and these guys. So. It's it's interesting what they did because sometimes um, championship teams say, oh, yeah, we've won it, we'll, we'll sort of stand pat. But these guys made some pretty significant changes to, to their personnel and, and, it, and, it's, and they're playing a bit of a different brand as well. But the, the, the one thing, that, that to hold up defensively, to be the number one ranked side uh, defensively, given uh, the changes they've had, we thought maybe adding a Montrezl Harrell who can be a bit of a sieve defensively and, and Gasol, obviously a former defensive player of the year, but certainly towards in the back half of his career, he'd maybe only have a year or two left. But to, to hold that number one defensive ranking has been really, really impressive uh, from my point of view. Can you see any holes that maybe some from some opposition teams may be able to exploit? Yeah, look, I think, you know, injury is the biggest one. If, if one of these two big, um, you know, LeBron or Anthony Davis go down, then, you know, as much as they have got out of depth, they, the star power just diminishes enormously. And so in a year like this year, I think that's probably what people are going to be holding out hope for is that, um, you know, just general wear and tear or a COVID um, issue, you know, might slow these guys down. But um, outside of that, you know, there might be a question mark just around playmaking outside of LeBron, you know, who else have they got? You know, in the half court, that can really help set them up. Dennis Schroeder's obviously can do a, 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 a portion of that, but we haven't really had to see him do that in, in really important crunch games as yet. So that'd be the part of it I'm looking at. I think you know, in the big man department, they're, they're okay and they've got good good support for Davis with Harrell and and Gazzol. Um, I was hoping to see a bit more out of Taylor Horton Tucker in the preseason. He, he was God, really wasn't, wasn't he the hype and... was a hype player of the preseason. <laughs> He certainly was, and looking, he's only averaging the 16 minutes a game. I thought there might have been an increased role for him, but they're almost trying to sort of stagger him and Caruso and Wesley Matthews. Those three guys are sort of overlapping a lot, and I think probably they're this stage they're playing the nine and ten guys. And once they they got to find out who their top eight guys are and get that rotation nice and nice and tight. Uh, Caldwell Pope, you know, shows his flashes, and you know he did step up in the playoffs last year. But you know he's a guy that I've never really thought um, added a lot of value to a side but again this year he, he keeps sort of finding his mark and you know averaging the 10 points a game still in, in a support role so look I think the playmaking is probably one thing in the, and you know just that reliance on LeBron to still still have to you know dish out the seven seven or eight assists a game um, if he can get some more support there maybe but outside of that I think the, the, the rosters a much improved one even from last year and you know they pretty much did it in third or you know third gear by the end of it so I think they're going to have to have an injury or, or a significant hiccup to, to really um, 
have too many questions thrown at them. Yeah, no doubt they're, they're obviously looking very strong at the moment. The only sort of slight hole that I could see, and I may, I may even be clutching at straws here, is, is those quick sort of shifty point guards who can shoot from the outside because they're, they're the number one team defensively, but they don't have, I don't think they have a guy who can sort of curtail those those smaller, quicker point guards. Um, LeBron, certainly at, at his age, is still a really good defender, but, but but hasn't got the speed to go with those guys. And Davis obviously can defend on the on the perimeter, but uh, prefers to be around around the rim. So the only the, the two that maybe I thought of was maybe Donovan Mitchell. You know, Utah Jazz are on an eight no uh, streak at the moment, and, and he's been exceptional during that period. He's averaging twenty seven points, shooting fifty fifty ninety. Um, so, so he's going really well, and and they've stepped up. Mike Conley sort of become that player that they thought they might get last year. He struggled last year, uh, but this year he's been fantastic. Rudy Gobert is a really good defender. Can he hang with Anthony Davis? That's a bit of a question mark, but but he's but he's a great defender. Bogdanovich, who who is a, is who is actually struggling this year, but can can put the ball in the basket. Royce O'Neal is a really good three and D, so he can maybe. Uh, t- Take LeBron for you know 10, 15 minutes a night, and and of course the Aussie Joe Ingles, uh, who we love, Ben. Still remember watching him in the Dragons in the NBL. I still can't believe he's playing NBA basketball, but he's 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 a very crafty player. So I think, not that I think Utah can beat him, but but one area there with Donovan Mitchell maybe could find a bit of a hole, and and the same thing maybe with Dame Lillard. But we saw we saw Portland played uh, the Lakers in the first round last year, and it was a four one a four one result after you know, Portland won the first game, and then I think I think LeBron started to try. So certainly Portland have improved this year. They've added Covington um, and Jones Jr. from from Miami, and and Rodney Hood's back. But you'd still think that they're probably going to to struggle to match up with. With uh, the Lakers, so look, uh, yeah, I said I, I was clutching the straws, and I probably am. It's really, it's, it's really hard to find a, a weakness um, from from Los Angeles at the moment. But having said that, if you had to nominate a team who you think are the biggest danger to the Lakers, who do you think that would be? Well, I think it still probably comes out of um, yeah, Milwaukee out of the East. I still think they're probably going to be the side that you know we even spoke about Brooklyn that they got to get past still, and the Clippers are the other one. So if they can. You know, they obviously fell apart at the end of last year, but, you know, they still got that A-grade talent that, you know, you'd like to think can at least get them through to the Western Conference Finals, and then at that point, who knows? But, yeah, for me, it's still the Clippers and the Bucks, um, unless we can see, you know, Denver get on another roll um, like they did last year. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. The, the East is really interesting. Milwaukee are a bit of a, a bit of a different team to they were last year. They're elite defensively last year. They're not quite at that level this year. I think they're, they're outside the top ten at the moment. But they're they're actually putting up the best offensive season in history so far. I mean, we're obviously only early into the season, and 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 Dallas did that last year. So obviously, with the amount of threes that get shot nowadays, the the, the, the offensive numbers are going through the roof. But they're, they're a bit of a different team, so it's hard to get a real read on Milwaukee. But they're probably still the team to beat in the East and. I totally agree. I, th- I think it's the Clippers uh, for me. So if you look at if you look at the start at the starting five doesn't really matter. I think it's the, the five guys on the floor at the end of the game when, when the game's there to be won. I think the Lakers would probably roll with KCP, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, and I've put Wes Matthews in there. But you can substitute him with either Alex Caruso or maybe even a Cole Kuzma, depending on what they were going for. And I think the Clippers match up really well with that. So. Leonard Leonard would take KCP. Paul George has guarded LeBron in previous playoffs. We've seen that for uh, in his Indiana days, so he can do a reasonable job there. 
Serge Barker is, is is a pretty good matchup for, for Anthony Davis. He can defend out on the perimeter and, and, and take Davis down low when he goes there. Pat Beverly would just annoy the crap out of Dennis Schroeder in the last five, five six minutes, as he always does. And, and that last spot, pretty similar to the Lakers, um, is a bit up in the air whether they go with it with a Marcus Morris or a, or a Nicholas Batum, who's, who's come back from the dead this year, or even a Luke Kennard, <laughs> depending on what they need. Um, Nicholas Batum, how about that? That's uh, he, he was struggling to get a game last year on Charlotte Hornets, who were one of the worst teams in 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 the league, and now, and now he's starting for a title contender. It's it's it's, it's incredible. But anyway, so I think the Clippers there, j- just sort of based off what they can throw at the Lakers at the end of the game, are probably the biggest uh, threat to them. But a- a- as you mentioned, they, they they fell apart last year, so there's there's certainly a number of question marks um, on the Clippers at the moment, and they're sort of flying under the radar a bit at the moment. No one's really talking too much about them. I, I think that's because. You know, we we've seen it before. We know what they can do during the regular season. They had a good regular season last year. Um, looks like Kawhi Leonard's playing a bit more this year. He's he's played a couple of back to backs. Although having said that, both him and Paul George today have been ruled out due to COVID protocols. So we're not sure how long they're going to be out for. But I think everybody's just sort of waiting uh, for the playoffs to see how the Clippers look because we're not going to be able to gauge too much um, out of how they're going during the regular season. We'll just have a quick conversation on LeBron's season so far because I think next week we'll get into a bit of a more in-depth conversation about the MVP. But I think leading into the season, you mentioned earlier about how we thought that maybe the Lakers would be slow to start um, because they'd had such a short turnaround from the bubble. And I think everyone probably assumed that last year was LeBron's sort of last crack at winning winning that uh, fourth MVP. It's just a big question. Do you think he can actually win it this year? I'll just go through his numbers, which for anyone else is super impressive, but they sort of don't jump off the off the page. So he's averaging twenty four points, which I'm not sure if these numbers included his his big game today where he did have forty six, including twenty one in the last quarter to get him across the line. But he's averaging twenty four, which is the second low of his second lowest of his career. Um eight rebounds and seven half assists, which are right in line from where he usually where what he usually puts up. Forty seven percent from the field, his fourth low fourth lowest of his career and 39% from three which is actually his second highest of his career and, he, and he sh- he's hitting the most three-pointers per game that he has throughout his career so as we know the, the MVP can really be shaped by the narrative you, you see that all the time you know you start talking up a guy early in the season or you know this guy's really improved this team have a look at him he's taken a jump the narrative could be there for LeBron given that I think uh, we saw last year he finished second in the MVP. He, he sort of made some comments that he wasn't too happy with that, um, and then he and then he was just outstanding during during the finals. And it's it, it's pretty much uh, pretty much everybody agrees that he's the best player in the world when he when he when he wants to be. So the narrative could be there that we maybe we owe LeBron one. He's only he's only won three during the, during his career. He probably should get another one, but. But also, then you could look at it and go, well, he's averaging his second lowest points of his career. So it's, it's a bit up in the air for me. What do you think? Do you think he's a chance of, of winning the MVP this year? Uh, look, probably not for me. I, I just think, although, you know, as we said, we are surprised the way he's come out of the gates playing pretty much every game and, and decent minutes and, and putting up good numbers. I just, you know, the narrative, as you mentioned, potentially, I think the narrative for him and the numbers he's looking for now is, is purely around championships. And the, the three MVPs that he has got, that probably isn't isn't a true reflection, and, and he probably should have the four or five. But I just can't see, you know, in a in a season that you know who knows how it's going to roll out that that, that is going to be a priority, particularly with a guy like Davis uh, playing alongside next to him and, and you know putting up really similar type of numbers and 
I just think on the other side of the you know the you know the the storylines where you've got guys like Embiid and Jokic and Donkic and you know Giannis is always going to be there and then even KD uh, putting up massive you know scoring numbers for Brooklyn. So I just think this year there there's going to be a bit more competition around and um, and as I said I just I question whether that that priority for him and we know how competitive he is but I just don't I can't see how he ever compromise another title chase to really sort of put the foot down and try and win MVP. Yeah, look, there's there's no doubt that the, that the titles are his main concern at the moment. The only way I could see him getting into it is if the, the Lakers just have an absolutely outstanding year. They, you know, they're, they're on track for a you know adjusted a seventy win pace. Um, that'd be the only way I can see him getting into it. Because as you mentioned, of course, Anthony Davis is there, who's generally considered a top sort of five six player in the league as well. So it's it's always that you know is is can a guy win the MVP when he's got such a great player next to him as well? So, but it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure all the LeBron fans will be uh will be pushing his name forward. Um, so the last topic we'll go for, I think, um, uh, who has been the biggest disappointment so far? There's obviously been some the teams that have been hit hard by COVID and some injuries as well, but there's certainly been a number of teams that haven't that haven't uh, performed to the level that everyone was expecting uh, so far. So, so for you, Ben, who's been your most disappointing team? Yeah, as you said, it was a tough one to try and get it together because you, you sort of in the end had to give some pass marks to some teams based on you know the issues that they're all experiencing, but. In the end, I I nearly picked your your Miami Heat, but again, come on, I just ben. Had they've had, had, they've <laughs> had half their bloody team for the year. Well, Jimmy Buckets hasn't there. played for four years, and the, you know it's a it's a worthy excuse. But um, you know they have been disappointing on the back of um, you know making the the finals last year. But however, the team I did pick is also also an Eastern Conference team who have had their struggles around the health protocols and some injuries that have bobbed up again. Uh, but I've picked the Washington Wizards as my most disappointing team. And, and it really is just on the proviso of how I probably had them ranked at the start of the year once the Westbrook, Westbrook trade was made. I, I kind of thought finally, you know, these guys might be on the right track and sort of really be pushing up into that seven or eight spot in the East, but it just hasn't worked out for them. Uh, Westbrook move and the pairing with Beal hasn't quite really come together yet. Um, and then, of course, there's been some serious injuries, firstly to Thomas Bryant. Uh, we haven't seen a heap of Rui Hashimura, and plus the, the team, you know, all together have, have missed so many games. So, look, they're currently at three, three and nine, uh, which is, you know, I, I think that almost already puts them out of the playoffs. I know that there is the play-in tournament, but they'd really have to get a, a run on, and, and with the Brian in the injury, that really sort of puts them behind the eight ball. So, I think that's a disappointment for them, based on, you know, I, I was quite excited about uh, Beal and Westbrook together. I thought. You know, for Beal uh, to finally have a, uh, a guy that's up and about that can really run the floor with him and, and you know, he's a great passer, can um, can help him out on the perimeter, was going to be, you know, the thing that could have really pushed Beal into some, some meaningful games. But now you sort of look at look at him and his contract and, and, and just his um, motivation to sort of dig in and really stay in Washington. Um, he's kept pretty tight-lipped about his, his um, future movements and he's always been pretty supportive of, of staying in, in Washington. But... You know, just with another um, season potentially looking looking down the drain, you you wonder at what point he's going to be the next starter to sort of force his way out. And they've got Russell Westbrook un- under contract for forty one million dollars this year, forty four million dollars next year, and then a player option, which you'd like to think he's probably going to opt into. Yeah, he's, for pretty, he's probably going to opt into that one, you'd reckon. <laughs> forty seven million dollars in seat. 
in the third year of that, you know, it's really it's a ham, uh, a number that's really going to hamstring these guys going forward, and and the production they're getting out of Westbrook um, just isn't there at the moment. Just averaging the 18 points a game, uh, shooting a pretty dismal 37% from the field. Um, that includes just 39% for two point shots as well. So um, his shooting's really off the ball, getting nothing out of him from a three point point of view. Still jacking up four and a half threes a game for only 30% return. You know, the assist numbers are there and the rebounds are there, but um, in terms of, you know, really stepping up and, and, and helping this team move forward, it hasn't quite worked. Davis Bertans is another one that's, um, you know, signed a massive contract in the off-season, four years, $64 million guaranteed, and just shooting 36% from, from three-point land. And, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, he earned that contract because of his shooting and to only be giving, you know, 36% return on that and only 11 points a game. Um, it's quite disappointing. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Bertans because he, he was on a minutes restriction early in the season, which I found bizarre because he, he opted out of the bubble because he had some sort of injury to get himself right. And then come the start of the season, he still wasn't right. So so that was a, a bit of a mystery, that one. I'm not sure what was going on there. Well, he'd want to turn it around. Um, as I said, there's a, a high-level investment to him for a long period of time. Um, and it was almost an eye-popping contract. When he signed and it's looking even worse at the moment just based on the on the poor shooting, really, um, and that's when you, what you're getting paid to do. Their rookie, Danny Avidia, is that how you say it, Neil? I'm not sure. but um, Danny, Danny Avdia, I believe. I Danny believe. Avdia. So he has probably struggled a bit more than I was hoping. I thought it might have been the second coming of Luka Doncic, but it certainly hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been that at this point. So um, that's not looking like a great first-round selection either for them. So... You know, from where where I kind of thought they may have been, I certainly didn't think they were going to be at the top end of the East, but I thought they'd sort of potentially work their way into that seven or eight seven or eight spot. Um, for me, that's been my most disappointing side. Yeah, look, no doubt. I I, I was on the same the same page as you there. I thought Washington were, was certainly going to be pushing somewhere between I don't know the the six to eight range. Um, but f- for me, the the disappointment starts and ends was with, with Russell Westbrook. He's he went through some of his numbers there. The the most startling one for me is his effective field goal percentage, which is which is a combination of your field goal percentage, three point percentage, and and your and your free throw, which he's shooting at a career low sixty four percent. Is his effective field goal percentage is forty. Um, out of the 138 qualified players uh, who have taken enough shots to be qualified, there's only three who, he, that are worse than him, <laughs> which are Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony, two rookies, and uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. who couldn't hit the side of a barn at the start of the season. So uh, when a guy like Westbrook, he plays with such heart and tenacity, but he uses up, he soaks up a lot of, of, uh, of possessions for you. And when it, when he's when he's been that ineffective, it really makes it hard for you to to be a winning team. Bradley Beal's been outstanding. He's he's leading the league at thirty four and a half points, five and a half assists, and 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 five rebounds. So you can't ask for any more from Brad Beal, but. Russell Westbrook had an outstanding year last year. He really turned his season around when when Houston went small and traded away Clint Capella and opened up the lane and 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 he sort of he parked the three point uh, shot to the side and just concentrated on driving and, and using his athleticism. He did struggle in the bubble. I, th- I think he he did have COVID before he went, um, so he was certainly underdone in the bubble. And there was there was probably a bit of hope from from Washington that uh, that they were going to get the Westbrook from from the regular season, but that certainly hasn't come to fruition. There, there, there are sort of reports that he is carrying a um, a quad injury at the moment, but uh, you know he, he was even ordinary in the game yesterday as well. So he he needs to either get his injury right or or, 
or sort of start eating some shots. It's really as simple as that. But the the one sort of scary thing with Westbrook is he's he he could potentially be. You could argue he's he's the greatest athlete ever to play in the NBA. He's so quick. He he's his uh, vertical is incredible. But he never sort of developed anything around from other than his athleticism. He's he sort of relied on that throughout his career, and obviously at some stage that that drops off. Now if if it's dropped off. Uh, this year, he could, he could certainly fall off a cliff pretty quickly. So, for Washington's sake, I hope that's not the case. Um, you mentioned the fact that uh, Beal's been a bit tight tight lipped. There's no doubt that every team in the NBA who is watching the, the scenario in, in Washington, because there, there's 29 other teams that would love to get their hands on Bradley Beal. So, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Don't think they'll trade him sort of in the first half of the year, but uh, if you're getting towards the end of the year and it's it's going this poorly, maybe you just got to sort of cut your ties, get as much for Brad Beal. We've seen some of the packages over the last couple of years for for the stars that have moved around. You know, Drew Holiday got a got a big package. Uh, Paul George and Anthony Davis. So if you can get a lot of draft picks, obviously James Harden as well, if you can get a lot of draft picks for Brad Beal, maybe that's the thing to do and sort of build for the future because it's looking pretty bleak at the moment. For me, the most disappointing team so far this year has been the New Orleans Pelicans. So so they made some, some changes during the offseason. They added Bledsoe, um, George Hill and Stephen Adams in that mega trade, which, which saw them send... Uh, Drew Holiday to Milwaukee. They also brought in Stan Van Gundy, who's an experienced and respected coach, really renowned for having strong defensively minded teams. But the the interesting thing for me was when they added Steve, Stephen Adams, they signed into a two year thirty five million dollar extension straight away before he'd even played a game for him. And I think that raised a few eyebrows because I think the most effective position for Zion Williamson to be playing to be playing is a small ball five. Now obviously he's a bit off that at the moment because he's He's still very young and learning the game, but the, the, I think they added Adams so so Zion didn't have to play the five too much. But the biggest concern was going to be that that the lack of space um, that having Stephen Adams clogging up the lane was was going to to bring with it, and and that and that's certainly come to fruition. They haven't made more three pointers than the opposite than an opponent since the first game of the season, and they're getting outscored every game by eighteen points from from the three point land, which is which is almost impossible when, you, when you're giving up that sort of a lead from beyond the arc. So they're in the bottom four in both three-point attempts and, and percentage. If you look at their starting five, they, they're starting Ball and Bledslow in the backcourt, uh, and Zion and, and Ingram in, in the front court, and Stephen Adams as, as the centre. Lonzo Ball shoots 29, 29% from the three-point line. Bledslow is actually at a career-high 40%, but he doesn't strike fear in the opposition and, and doesn't he doesn't create gravity and, and, and open the lane up. Zion has only hit uh, one of five three. He's only attempted five three-pointers in 14 games this year. He's only hit two three-pointers since his first game, and we all remember that first game, I think it was against the Spurs, where he hit four three-pointers, and uh, everyone was wondering what was going on there. But he's hit two three-pointers um, since his first game, which I thought was an incredible stat. Obviously, Stephen Adams doesn't shoot threes at all, and Brandon Ingram is a good three-point shooter, um, hitting him at 37% this year. JJ Redick, who's the guy who's supposed to come off the bench, who brings a wealth of experience. Um, I think last year was the first time in his career he'd missed the playoffs, and he's supposed to come out and, and create some space for him as he's done throughout his career. He's a 41% uh, three-point shooter, only hitting him at 30% so far. So I think it's it's a really big issue for him at the moment, being able to create some space um, and, and get a fluent offensive going offense going. But uh, defensively as well, they've been really poor. Z- Zion just... 
tends to lose focus and, and sort of float during the game and all of a sudden his opponents uh, either back cutting and, and getting a layup or springing open and, and, and hitting an open three. So he's got to improve uh, defensively. Same with Brandon Ingram, who was a really good defender in his, in his Lakers days, but uh, for some reason he's he's probably concentrating a bit more offensively and they're asking him to do that, but he's got to, he's got to dig down defensively. And, and Stephen Adams, after I thought an impressive start to the season, defensively at least, has really slipped. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. They've obviously got a, a wealth of picks coming their way due to the the Anthony Davis trades and Andrew Holiday trades. So it's it's not panic stations, but um, I, I think you would like to see them get much better in the back half of the year. Hopefully Stan Van Gundy can tighten up that defense and uh, and we'll see the best out of Zion, who, 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 as I said, really needs to improve defensively. No, that's all good points. And, you know, I think the biggest issue for me at the moment with the Pelicans, and it's only early in this whole uh, rebuild really for them and these young players that have come in, but you're just wondering what the fit, whether this is the right fit with these guys and um, particularly Lonzo and Zion and Brandon Ingram. You're looking at it, and I'm looking at the stats, and you're looking at the league ranked 24th in pace. I mean, these guys should be out running the floor, um, really creating offensively. And, and at the moment, it's it's too slow. Um, there's too much in the half court, and with the three point numbers, uh, as they as you've suggested, then it's just not making for any anything positive coming out of them. And their defensive rating at 25, you know, understand Van Gundy, coach team is not good at all. So what is what is the future for these guys together, particularly those three uh, sort of young studs that they're, they're looking to build around? And that's that's the question mark for me already. And 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 really, it's only two years into to Zion's career and really the third year um, for Lonzo. So, look, I, I'm still holding out hope like you are as well that um, they can turn things around and, and you know, these guys can all work and they all stay in New Orleans for the longer term. But, you know, there are red flags already and, and you'd, like to, you'd like to see them at least be playing a lot more, you know, tempo and um, quicker up, the, up and down the court and a lot more fun. And that's um, probably not what we're seeing out of these guys uh, so far in this season. Yeah, no doubt. They've almost gone the opposite. Last year under Alvin Gentry, they were a fast-paced team. He, he come from the, the Phoenix Suns background, the seven seconds or less less offense, and they were getting up and down the floor, which, as you said, should suit you know these young guys, especially Zion in the open court. But uh, maybe 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 Van Gundy is thinking that you know you slow it down, you play a half-court game, it allows you to set your defense a bit more, but that, that certainly hasn't come to fruition. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they do finish off the season. All right, we're going to call it there for our first episode. Uh, thanks for jumping on the line, Ben. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no worries at all, and thanks for your guidance uh, through our podcast debut. Much appreciated. No worries, mate. Uh, thanks to everyone who, who's downloaded and listened to, the, to this. Uh, as I said, you can get in contact with us uh, via Twitter, at 82winnow or at bencad1 if you've got any comments or feedback. Hopefully you download the show next week.